Africa Agenda is a podcast that features conversations with people working at the intersection of open data, open government, and sustainable development in Africa. Uh, we're back uh, talking with Irongo Hilton, uh, Executive Director of Amnesty International Kenya. Um, and we were just talking about um, uh, some of those uh, issues that have uh, catalyzed progress. Um, let's talk about, you know, the, the in, in, in regard to those issues and also others where we have not made a lot of progress. Um, where do you think, which ones do you think we have good data on? Mm. Um, and which ones do you think we need to do a, a lot more? Mm. I think, I think um, traditionally, first of all, just say I'm a, I'm a great lover of, uh, of data. And data is, is critical for, you know, both activists and also policy makers. Mm. Um, I think we've probably done much better in um, the kind of data that we collect traditionally in our census, you know. Um, so numbers of women, uh, age groups, um, ethnicity. So the, I guess what you call the biodata stuff, yeah. that, that's fairly well taken care of. Um, it's much more difficult, I think, to find material on that which society still does not accept, right? obviously. Mm-hmm. So the number of rape cases and sexual assault cases um, are, you know, mostly, in, in most cases, underreported, um, simply because of the stigma that's attached to reporting. And at that point, you are probably relying on police data um, rather than uh, data of people that are providing non-law uh, enforcement support. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that's been much more challenging. The other thing I think is um, traditionally we still see data as coming from specific parts of uh, society, you know, so from the uh, National Bureau of Statistics, for example, or the um, uh, public uh, offices like the police. Um, there is very little integration of data, and I think that's where the challenge is. You know, so um, non-state actors um, come into contact with lots of cases of violations, mm-hmm. but they are not well positioned to bring that to the state organs, for state organs to incorporate that in terms of the national statistics. And that's, I think, one of the bigger challenges. So your citizen-generated data, yeah. you know, doesn't make its way into this. Yeah, into this and, and, and this is, is particularly painful given what we've seen in terms of crowdsourcing of data and open data, you know, um, campaigns across the continent. Because technically speaking now, we have the, uh, you know, the devices to make that much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are organizations that are doing wonderful work in this area. Um, uh, and I think what's missing really is to have their data brought in. And I know there's a huge debate between, re- you know, reputable data and others, yeah, you know. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, integration of those data sources is probably the second most uh, is- important issue. The third one, I think, relates to, um, you know, the explosion of big data. And I think this is where probably we have not uh, deployed this uh, new capacities around connectivity, around uh, artificial intelligence, uh, the ability to simulate reality and the future. We've not really brought that energy um, into um, the women's rights movement or into gender justice work. Um, um, So not just to document what has happened or what the status is currently, um, but to think about what will Africa look like five to ten years from now. Um, So historically, I think we've 
used probably three major sources. Um, and this is in my previous work with Oxfam. We used uh, the Mo Ibrahim Index uh, quite dramatically. Uh, we used the Afrobarometer analysis, which we like very much because of its um, fluidity and, and uh, ability to work with perceptions. Yeah. Thirdly, we've used the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, Africa Gender Index, uh, which was the other project that was there, which I believe has, I don't think it's still going. I think it's wound up now. Yeah. Um, uh, and the fourth one really has been, I think, the uh, UN Women uh, analysis that's done uh, annually and released annually. But I think the problem is that many of those institutions are essentially collating data that is generated for the national level. So where traditionally we don't have good, you know, well-resourced research and development programming at the level of the nation, um, what you get at the continental level um, will be weak. Right. And that, that, of course, makes it so that those working at the national level and sub-national level right. um, have very weak yeah. um, uh, data, very weak uh, evidence to work with, whether it's quantitative or qualitative, right. for their advocacy and, right. and for policy. But I'm going to be a bit her heretic here, maybe, and yeah. uh, provocative. So in Oxfam, we used to have something called killer facts. Mm -hmm. And a killer fact was essentially a set of five facts that we would generate based on data. And out of, we may look at, I don't know, maybe 400. Um, datums or anecdotes or facts and we would identify just five and then we would position them um, in a way in which it would actually generate a sense of vigilance and a sense of outrage um, and we found that much more useful than overloading people with a hundred pieces of you know data so just to give you an example we at one point um, produced um, an analysis in terms of how many women die every day in childbirth across the continent. Now, if we had simply said the number of women that die every year is X, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have the same impact as simply saying every 15 minutes, every one hour, every one day, this is what's happening to women across the continent. Yeah. And I think that also is critical. Now, of course, that has to rely on the backbone of uh, reliable data, mm -hmm. right? But I think being able to uh, manage the data in a particular way um, makes it real for you know, basic, you know, for ordinary citizens. The second thing I think is uh, thinking through a little bit about, um, you know, uh, you know, in those days in 2003, there was we didn't have, you know, um, I guess infographs. We didn't have the concept of audiovisual uh, representation. Yeah, and some of these uh, more interesting data visualizations yeah, that we, we see. We didn't have you that know, online. Yeah. The, the, you know, the I mean, it was revolutionary. Clickable. You know. It was revolutionary in those days to produce a policy brief that was 15 pages. <laughs> yes. Right. People said it had to be 50 pages or 200. Or um, and that was why it was brief. <laughs> that was called a brief, right? Because we realized that actually people don't read more than 15 pages. Yeah. I think now, uh, you know, the capacity of our policymakers and our activists and citizens to go beyond a tweet or to go beyond a uh, image um, is even less, mm. right? So I think for us now, what we need to think about is what stories are we telling that are not only verifiable, uh, factual, but also um, generate a sense of imagination about what could be rather than what is. And I think that's the challenge now for data, data uh, producers and data users. Uh, I 
that capacity to, to do that. Um, we've typically seen it only with the most sophisticated organizations. Yeah. Um, and, and yet those working at the grassroots, uh, those working at the subnational level, uh, who are at the front lines could really benefit from this, usually don't have the capacity. Yeah. Uh, how, do we, how do we close that gap? So, yeah, so there's two things there. One is that you know, communities, particularly African communities, are oral. So we were storytelling, you know, way beyond, below, you know, before uh, Oxfam and Action had started doing policy briefs and, you know, government, yeah, government started doing, um, you know, national plans and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So storytelling is, is really part of our culture. And I think the more we're able to generate those stories. Um, so the story of Nuria of um, Sudan is powerful by itself, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't need to be backed up by... You know, there are 100,000 Nurias okay. across the continent. It is important to get a sense of scale because that allows policymakers to plan uh, how to use resources and also for activists to work out how to create systems and platforms where they can protect 100,000 people. But I think the important thing is that, you know, people are moved to act by individual stories mm -hmm. primarily. Um, so capturing that story powerfully is uh, really part of our work now. I think that's, that's uh, also an opportunity to not just to reimagine, but to strengthen the existing capacity for storytelling that's already there. That's already there. You know, we can already do this. Right. So when we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit about your vision mm -hmm. uh, for Maputo's next 15. Yeah, great. We'll be back. <laughs> 